we are in another week of family talk. And so this series actually started uh, in January. And over the last few weeks, we, we, we took the first few weeks and we talked about um, our church family, some things that, that as a church we are uh, we're, we're looking at and talking about and some, some things that maybe we kind of wanted to focus in on uh, with our church family. And the thing about church family is that a lot of, in a lot of ways, it operates like our family, our home life, right? And, um, and because it's, it's really two institutions that God created, the church and the family. And so we've talked about different things. Last week, we talked about communication, which I hope all of you were able to apply maybe a couple of things to help you out in your communication this week. Um, but communication's a big deal because it's how we learn how to resolve conflict. It's how we share our hearts with one another and it's how we maintain unity in our relationships. And so if we have bad communication, we have a bad, a lot of things, all right? And, uh, but, but this week we wanted to talk about marriage and I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. Um, when, whenever we were approaching how to teach this message, there's really two ways to approach it. One is from a very, very practical standpoint, which is probably what a lot of you think that today's message is gonna be about. Um, a practical approach to how to be married and how to have a successful marriage and seven steps to a happy marriage, right? And, um, and, and, and the reality is, is that I think for today, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna take a little bit different approach to this conversation about marriage. Um, but, but, but there's a lot of tension around marriage. And uh, so, so just to kind of preface today's message, I, I don't really need any emails <laughs> later this week about where you agree or disagree. Um, well, maybe if you agree, but if you disagree, like... Um, because <laughs> um, this subject is very, very... It's very sensitive in our country. It's very sensitive in our world. And so I'm gonna say some things today that some of you will agree with and you're like the amen corner, you're the choir. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, that's right. Other people are gonna be like, I used to think that or I'm struggling with that right there. And, and you might be a little bit quieter. And then there's those of you who are just probably gonna fully disagree with, with everything I say. And, and, and that's fine. Um, it has to be fine. What are you going to say? It's not fine. It has to be fine. It's the reality. It's the way that it is. Um, but I really felt like today we needed to talk about marriage from this perspective. What is marriage? What is a biblical marriage? And so, um, so I'm excited about it, but, it, uh, but it's, it's, still a, it's still a sensitive topic. Now, we've talked about how the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything right? Like, like literally everything that God created, the enemy wants to destroy. John 10, 10, he comes only to do this, to disrupt what God has designed. And so uh, in, in, in that, what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve is that whenever sin entered into the equation, it disrupted again, God's design. So things were, were optimal. God created a, a wonderful uh, world. Uh, the, the way that everything operated was, was right and it was good. And that's what he said. He said, this is good. And, um, but then again, sin, er, sin enters in and disrupts things. And, and what happened when sin entered in, it disrupted even marriage. What marriage was supposed to be is no longer what it really is anymore. And there's a lot of confusion around it. But, um, but we're going to talk about marriage. And um, I believe that, that marriage, you could really say marriage is the beginning of a new family. Kind of like a new branch off of a tree, right? And, and so when you get married, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Whenever you find the person that you love, your soulmate, right? You're, you find that, that one needle in the haystack that out of seven and a half billion people, right? Like you found the one, the one. See, I, I actually bought a picture today of the one that I found. And so can you put that up real quick? This right here, look at that. Look at those two, look at those two young people. Man, we had no clue. We were so cute. <laughs> Me, you can leave that picture up there because I think like as I refer to some things, like we need, we need a picture of this right here. Um, that actually, that picture was taken like right here. Like we got married in this, in this room and uh, we, we met when we were 14 years old, which we were hanging out last night with some friends, uh, Micah and Ashley Butterfield, our Long Beach pastors and uh, their girl, their oldest girl, Emma, she's almost 15. And we had a moment because that's whenever me and Nadine met <laughs> And it's his whole story. It's a wonderful story. One day, I'm just going to tell you the whole story. But, but anyway, I don't have time today. But, um, but, but we, we found the one. Now, it took seven years. We got married whenever we were 21. 
It took seven years for us to, to really take the leap, you know, but this search for the one. Some of you today, you might be a person that is desiring to be married one day and, and you're on this search for the one, the, the, the ambiguous search, right? For the one person that will fulfill all of your hopes and desires. They will complete you. They will laugh at all of your jokes, you know? Like you're looking for that one and I'm seeing all of the married couples go, because if you've been married for seven minutes, you know that that's just not the case. Your spouse cannot and will not and will not ever complete every part of you. And so if you have that, that mindset going into it, um, I'm praying for you today because it's not always that way. But the search, just something practical before we get into some of the philosophical things, um, is uh, if you're looking for a spouse, can I just say it'd be good to look at three things. Number one is, do they work? Do they have a good work ethic? Just going to throw it out there. Are they a person who actually gets up in the morning and works? Do they have a work ethic? You'll thank me later. Um, Are they a believer? Are they a believer? Come on, Christians. This has become a soft, soft thing now. It's like, I'm not really sure. They don't really, maybe, maybe one day. And, and, and I would say that, that if you have a different worldview than another person, it's very difficult to have a healthy marriage because you are at odds at every single turn. And, and the Bible actually kind of talks about how, you know, do we have, should we have fellowship light with darkness and, and, and be unequally yoked? And so I would just say, are they a believer? Do they work? And are they, are they healthy? And you're like, what? well, Spiritually, are they healthy? Emotionally, are they healthy? Sometimes I find people who, uh, they, they, get a, they get into a relationship, they get into a soul tie, and then they discover that that person is in a very unhealthy place in their life. Like, we're all unhealthy to a certain extent. Don't get me wrong, okay? But they're in a very unhealthy place, but now they've got this attachment, and now it's hard to get out of that attachment. And so they say, well, maybe it'll just work out. And it would have been so great before you jump in all in that you would ask just a couple of questions to see where they're at. So that's, that's the practical side of the message. So we're going to move on because, uh, oh, I did want to say one last thing. Dude, the question is if they are the one, um, once you put a ring on the finger, they are the one. All right. So just, just to put it out there, like even if you, you might feel like you made a bad decision, you made a great decision because you have made a vow. And so now it's time to, to work it out. But but culture is revising marriage. Culture is redefining, revising marriage, and uh, really seeking to ultimately deconstruct its biblical foundation and to reconstruct a, a suitable definition and a suitable approach to what marriage is. And it's one that is riddled with postmodern values and values that are completely opposed to what the word of God says. And so, so one thing I want to say from the beginning is, is that here's the deal. God designed marriage, so God defines marriage. God designed marriage, so therefore God defines marriage. No matter how culture redefines, it permanently has been defined by God. And so that, that's a, a very important presupposition that, 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 that Christians come to the table with. And what we're going to learn more and more in our culture is that everybody is coming to the table of a conversation with a lot of presuppositions, with a lot of preconceived ideas about what something is, whether you know it or not, this is a very big point that God designed marriage, so God defines marriage. Now, the enemy has a playbook filled with tactics to distort God's design. We've talked about some, some things even last week in regards to communication and how the enemy seeks to break down our communication, some of his tactics. And so we're going to talk about some of these but, uh, but God designed, God has a design for marriage. The enemy seeks to break that down. And again, many agree, many disagree. And um, in this room today, watching online, it's the same thing. There's gonna be a lot of people who agree, a lot of people who disagree. But um, I do wanna say this, that everything that I talk about today, I really am approaching this conversation uh, with a heart of grace, but also a heart of truth. And, and there's great tension in that because today, nowadays, if my truth doesn't coincide with your truth, then therefore it means that I don't like you or I hate you or I'm intolerant of you. And that's just not the case. It's just not the case. If we don't agree, it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm like 
I'm opposed to you. See, in our world, like last week, we talked about communication. We don't know how to navigate through these waters very well because if somebody disagrees, we automatically assume that they're our enemy. And that's a bad place to start. So I'm not starting there today. So if you disagree, man, I'll still give you a hug after the, after the sermon or I'll give you an air hug, sorry. I will air high five. I don't know how to operate nowadays, but anyway. So there's a lot of grace and a lot of truth in what we're talking about today, but let's talk about some of the enemy's attempt to deconstruct biblical marriage. Number one is that the enemy wants to deconstruct God's design. God's design. Genesis 1 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. We must always start there in any conversation that we're having with someone. That they are created in the image of God. Whether you like that image or not, doesn't matter. They are created in the image of God. And then it says, male and female, he created them. So there we see that there are two genders. There's two types of people. There's male and there's female. And then we go into Genesis 2 and we just read that a man, and this is really the first mention, the first conversation about marriage, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so this is all pre-fall. This is the way that God designed it. This is, this is how God wants this to operate, right? One man, one woman. Now, this is what we believe is biblical marriage, that biblical marriage is one man between one man and one woman. And years and years and years ago, that would have been fine to say. Now, this is like, this will get you canceled, you know, because that's the world that we live in because things have been redefined. Something that happened at the fall, it's very important to understand, is our sex, biological sex, our gender, and our sexuality, who we're attracted to, was all one and the same. We were meant to be aligned in that way. And when sin entered into the equation, that was fractured. It's been fractured. And whether you understand it or not, maybe some of you find yourself in this place, whether you understand it or not, it has happened. And there is, from that, from the beginning, there, there's a lot of situations and a lot of, um, of, of a spectrum of situations that we deal with today, that, that today that aren't new. The things that we're dealing with, the definition of what marriage is and, and, and how to approach sexuality, all these things, it's nothing new. This has been around since the fall. It might just be a newer conversation for some of us. It might be more of a political thing now than maybe it used to be. But the issue has always been with us, right? It's not like all of a sudden it showed up a couple of years ago, right? This has been around since the beginning. But we believe that biblical marriage is between one man and one woman. And so when you talk about same-sex marriage, and all of these very, very controversial things, God designed it to operate a certain way. And so therefore, for what biblical marriage is, is a man and a woman. Like, so, so we start with that premise. And, and I know that, that even saying these words for a lot of people, it creates a lot of tension because there are a ton of stories. There's a ton of situations. Some of you in this place today, watching online, this is, you're dealing with this. And so again, I'm gonna be very, very sensitive to that and, and, and not sit, uh, seek to dismiss that. But again, we're talking about what biblical marriage and so is. And so sex is a very important topic when we talk about marriage. Now, for a lot of people, sex seems to be like the, the main thing about marriage. And if you've been married again for any amount of time, you know that that's not the case. There's a lot more to marriage than just sex. But when we talk about marriage, it brings up this topic of sexuality. And it's a very important uh, subject to talk about. So sex has two functions. Number one is to perpetuate human, the human race, literally procreation. And also is to create an intimate bond between a husband and a wife an intimate bond between a husband and a wife. Sex is a wonderful thing. Um, I know that for a lot of people, if you grow up in church, sex was something that you didn't talk about much. You just kind of glossed over, right? It's the awkward thing that we don't talk about. And for some people, it actually creates an unhealthy expectation or an unhealthy understanding of sex. God created sex. It's good. 
is supposed to be enjoyed in the proper context, but it's, it's something that's really wonderful, right? But the deal is, is that whatever God creates, Satan perverts. And so now society says there's no boundaries around sex and sexuality. There's no boundaries. But the Bible says that there are. The biblical sexual ethic taught throughout the Bible is that sex or sexual activity is to only be enjoyed within the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. If you read the word of God in its entirety, you will see a theme that runs through. The ethic that's taught in the word of God is this ethic. It is this understanding. And so, so when we talk about anything outside of that, that would be called sexual immorality. Right? And, and the way that we define that is sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That's how we would define that, right? Now, Hebrews 13, four says, let marriage be held in honor among all. So, so we should honor the biblical definition of marriage, right? And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God will judge. That means, guess what? We don't have to judge, all right? So if you feel like you have to be God's cop when it comes to this stuff, you're dismissed. You don't have to do that anymore. Take the foot off the gas, right? God is the ultimate judge, jury, all that good stuff. Okay, that's, that's who God is. Um, but, but we are reading this book that, that is really his word to us. But sexual immorality encompasses many things. It encompasses adultery, fornication, pornography, homosexuality, just to name a few. Sexual immorality encompasses all of these things. And so I wanna bring some clarity to just a couple of things before we move on. Number one is that we need to understand that temptation in itself is not a sin. And that applies to anything. Like some people feel like if I'm tempted to do something, that must mean that I am in sin. Temptation isn't sin. So it's important because some of us maybe get condemned when it, when it talks about that. So if we're talking about sexuality, same-sex attraction is not a sin. Okay? All right, I'm gonna get a lot of stares. All right, same-sex attraction isn't a sin any more than different sex attraction is a sin. See, see as a heterosexual you are attracted to the opposite sex. But there are parameters around how you can express that, right? And the Bible has parameters that says, as a heterosexual, the way that you can express that is with your spouse in the covenant of marriage. That is the proper moral way to express that. There are parameters around that. And now anything outside of that, even if you're attracted to the same sex, those parameters still apply. And that's where it gets difficult. That, that's where I've sat with people who are in this situation in their life and they want to please God, but there's this tension in them of their identity and this, this thing that they didn't plan, but, but they're dealing with. And, and, and I think there's some important things that we need to talk about when it comes to this to bring some clarity and a lot of people use this scripture, obviously Romans chapter one, verse 26, because it, it talks about this, this issue of homosexuality. And so I'm gonna read the scripture, but I'm also gonna read in context what also the scripture is talking to. Because some people pick and choose one scripture and they just, you know what I'm saying? They just hammer one scripture. But when you look in context, you actually get the heart of what's going on. And Paul's writing this to the church in Rome and he's talking about the gospel really is, is what he's talking about. He's talking about whenever man fell, how God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, throughout the Bible, there's other, other places where you could see that the the biblical, again, sexual ethic is that this is unacceptable in God's eyes. That's what we read. But it's underneath this umbrella of sexual immorality. And I think what's interesting is just a couple of verses later, if we continue to read, we'll see that it says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing, uh, new ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And so in this same sentence, we see where he's confronting sexual immorality in all of its forms. And he's also conf- confronting every form of wickedness which I just think it's, I think it's interesting that disobey your parents is in the same conversation as all of the other things. Why? Because it's all under the umbrella of sin. It doesn't matter if you see one sin is more acceptable than the other. In God's sight, it's displeasing. It's outside of his design. And that is such a, a difficult place to be because in our society, if it feels good, it is good. If it makes sense up here, if it makes sense with the people that I know and love, if I, if I, if, then it just feels wrong to, to state this. And honestly, it's a tension that has been around for a long time and it's a tension that will remain. And it is a tension that is dividing our nation, our families, friends, schools, in every arena, this conversation. Sexuality is one of the most intense conversations that you can talk about. Because it's so, it's a part of us. It's a part of, God created us with this, with this sexual drive. And it's, so it's, it's, it's innate in us. But I think if we can again see how sin has distorted God's original design, then whenever we enter into these conversations, first off, we can enter in with much compassion, much grace, But at the same time, just like we say sin has destroyed lots of other things and messed up lots of other things, but we say that doesn't negate God's design, we also have to say say the same thing about our sexuality. Even the things that we may struggle with right now. And I'm not, not naive. There's people in this room right here that are dealing with this. There's people that are watching online. There's a lot of us who have a lot of close family and friends who are in this place. And I want to encourage you that you can love someone but not affirm their lifestyle. You can. It's what the Bible teaches. So if you're struggling with this belief, I do want to kind of let you know about somebody that I think would help out. Um, There's a woman named Jackie Hill Perry who, um, she wrote a book called Gay Girl, Good God. And she really talks about her own struggle in, in this situation and being a homosexual, but yet being a person who's following Jesus and what that looks like. Because again, being attracted to someone, that's not the sin. All right. Just like anything else. It's not the temptation. It's what you do with that temptation that becomes, and that applies in all of our lives in thousands of different ways. Right. But a lot of times, because this is such a hot topic, we, 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 we might back away and we, we, we apply the same scriptures. We apply the same logic, the, the same belief to this. Now, and also I want to say this, is that if you go Google, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? You're going to get a lot of, of answers. You're also going to get a lot of people that say the Bible doesn't talk about homosexuality. It does. Homosexuality, the word, the, the, the way that we use it maybe didn't exist in the last couple of hundred years. But, but what the Bible describes, I just read it, it it's talking about, it's obvious what it's talking about. And so there's a lot, of, of, a lot of people going back to the Greek and the Hebrew and trying to kind of make things happen. But you can also go find very, very, very liberal professors of liberal seminaries who even in their search to try to prove that it's okay to, to do whatever you want, right? Which we're all trying to find ways to do whatever we want as people because of sin. Um, still comes to the same conclusion that out in the biblical uh, uh, definition of things, there, there's just not a way to construct it um, in the proper way to, to accomplish that. And so, so anyway, I wanted to, wanted to say that I think that there needs to be a lot of clarity around these things because uh, there's a whole lot of conversations going on out there. And it's impossible for me to take 20 minutes, 30 minutes and talk about this. We could sit here and talk for about three more hours, right? But again, what does the word of God says, uh, say about this? Um, and and I, when it comes to healing, for, for, for people who are, uh, who are homosexuals, you know, healing for a homosexual is not heterosexuality. 
if, if you're maybe struggling with this, your healing, the thing that you're praying for is not to be a heterosexual. You don't find healing in heterosexuality. You find healing in the gospel. You find healing in Jesus. You find healing in what he has done and the price that he has paid, just like all of us do with every sin that so easily besets us. Jesus is, is full of grace and love no matter where you're at, right? And so that's the first thing, that the, the enemy wants to deconstruct God's design. The next thing is that the enemy wants to deconstruct and mess with biblical family order. The Bible depicts family order very clearly. Ephesians 5, you can go read. God covers the, the man, the man covers the wife, the, the wife and the man cover the kids. There's this order. And again, just like everything else, there, things get broken apart. Right? And, and, and in any sort of patriarchal society, we can see, and of course, that's a very hot topic, uh, uh, patriarchy and, and, and even what we were just talking about, this, this whole like heteronormative thinking. We have these words that are defining certain things and painting certain things in a negative light. But again, Genesis 2.18, which is one of many things we could talk about, it says that the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him a helper fit for him. Now, for some people, they take that and they lessen the value of a woman. And all throughout history, you can look and you can see how women were subjected and submitted, right? Using that word in an improper sense, submitted to, and there was abuse and different things that were used. Because someone takes God's design and misuses it does not mean that the design itself is to be thrown out. It's just that it's, People are operating improperly in that design, which again applies across the board in so many different places. And so, you know, whenever we read this, a lot of people, it's like, man, well, well God designed it that way. And, and the deal is, is that if, if men use that improperly, they are using it in, in a way that is not how the Bible describes it. They're misusing scripture. And, you know, for a man to demand submission and respect but not to output love and sacrifice and service. He's, it's improper. But what happens is people, again, misuse scripture. They misuse things. And then those things get defined a certain way. And then it's like, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it's not the case. So that where there's a, there's a move to abandon biblical order and thinking because some have misused it, we must lean in and not allow that to take place in our own lives and our own thinking. Um, just because there's brokenness in a structure doesn't mean you destroy the structure. That would be overcorrection, right? That'd be overcorrection. Something that we're facing in our country right now, overcorrection in certain ways, certain ways. But every structure is broken because every structure is built and maintained by broken people. Sin, right? So it doesn't matter which structure is broken down and which one is created. That creation will also be wrong and have its weaknesses because it's, again, built and maintained by us, right? All throughout history, it's the same thing. God's design doesn't change because we don't agree with it. We're, we're not evolving and finding better structures to go by. God made a perfect design, sin disrupted it. And at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, we must repent, we must align ourselves with him. Tactic number two is that the enemy wants to deconstruct God's timeline. Since we're already deep into it, let's just continue to just wade through the waters. God's timeline. Cohabitation before marriage is a very, very big deal all over the world and especially in our country. And honestly, more people agree and see that it is a, a positive thing to live together before you're married. To which we don't see that pattern in the Bible. We don't see that pattern in the Bible. Once people get engaged, even a lot of times it's like, let's just go ahead and move in together. And I get it. Like I, I get, the, I get the, 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 the financial argument. I get why it makes sense, right? And a lot of times it, it does make logical sense to do these things. But is it biblical? Is it, is it a biblical thing? So our engagement, whenever we say somebody get engaged, in the Hebrew culture, that's referred to as betrothal. 
And so you'd have this, this betrothal, this kind of the ceremony where there was a, uh, basically a promise and they were engaged. And then the man would go and prepare a house, prepare the place for his bride. And then there would be a wedding ceremony, which is what we would call a wedding ceremony, to which then they, they get married, right? Did I say something funny? Yeah. I did? I don't know. Sometimes people laugh and I'm like, do what? Oh, I said the same thing twice. Bear with me, guys. There's a lot of things going on in my head right now. <laughs> well, we would, you know, you're engaged and then you get married and, and then you move in together, right? Like that was the thing, that was the, the pattern set in the, in the word of God. But now we have kind of this, this idea of test driving, you know what I'm saying? Let me, let, me, let me test it out first. Let me see if they're compatible, you know? And, if we, let me see, and, it, and it makes logical sense in one way. Like we don't sign contracts anymore before we get the trial period, right? I don't know about you, but I ain't putting my credit card number in until I know that I want the software. And if you do, if you forget on the sixth day at the 59th hour, you know, like at that moment, that second, they're gonna charge you an extra 40 bucks because you didn't cancel before the free trial. So anyway, that's why you don't put your credit card in. But that's our mentality, right? Like, 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 I just want to make sure. So therefore, we enter into this commitment, but without the commitment, without the vow. And it creates a lot of issues. Now, again, in, in the Bible, the bridegroom would go prepare a place for a bride. And the beauty of that is that that's actually the gospel, is that Jesus is betrothed to us, his bride, and he has gone to prepare a place for us and will return to get us, right? Like, like there's this beautiful picture and, and that all throughout scripture, you'll see where marriage is, is depicted and defined and, and explained by the relationship of God with us, Jesus with us. And so what happens is whenever we break pattern and we break God's design, we're also misrepresenting the gospel, so this is not just an opinion. This isn't like, this isn't just an opinion. Don't shoot the messenger, all right? I heard one guy say, I'm just delivering the mail. I didn't write it, you know? Like, this is the biblical, again, the, the, the ethic. And we can't preempt God's timeline. Now, now, I can have a biblical argument about it, but there's also just the fact that living together before you get married is just not wise. There's many consequences for it. And there's a lot of secular studies that support it. And I'm not gonna give you all the stats, but couples cohabitating prior to marriage are more likely, way more likely to get divorced. It's just the way it is. Now, it might not be like that for you. It might not have been, that might not be your story. I'm not saying it's 100%, but I am saying that overall, you create certain patterns whenever you move in without commitment, whenever you move in without covenant, and, and I've sat with many couples who find themselves in that place and it's very difficult because you come together as two individuals. You're not one, not in, not in every way, maybe sexually, but you're out of the pattern. And so it's a major issue. Um, one thing I guess I'll just kind of throw out there just to just kind of help you out. Um, when it comes to sex inside of marriage, uh, sex in marriage is, is actually more fulfilling long-term than sex outside of marriage. And I think this is important for young people and single people as well to understand that the way that God designed this to operate is that sex inside the covenant of marriage is more fulfilling long-term than it is outside the covenant of marriage. So the whole idea and the whole, the whole twist that the world wants to spin and deliver you, which is like to live a promiscuous lifestyle is actually fun and enjoyable and long-term really what you wanna do. Um, in the time that you're doing it, it might be exciting. Long-term though, stats, stories, I'm sure I could bring some of you up on the stage right now to actually share your own story about what I'm talking about and you'd be like, it's true. It's true. long-term, there are things that take place that are way more difficult uh, if we would have only followed God's design. Now, some people would say this, we're cohabitating, but we're not having sex. And that, that's like the Christian response nowadays. And, um, and, and again, I've been in many conversations with people that this is their response. Well, we're not having sex. And first off, I'll say this, Proverbs says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? <laughs> 
You're just like playing the odds. And a lot of people, it's like, they, it's why we say sexual immorality is any sexual activity. Because some people it's like, well, we're not doing this specific thing. And it's like, there's more to it than just that. I mean, we're, we're good at justifying where we're at, but, but the temptation alone and the visual side of it is, is not very, very positive. But past that, then this is really where my heart is with it. I think it really reduces marriage down to just sex and marriage is so much more than whether you're having sex or not. You're building a life together. You're making a commitment, a covenant before God and people that you are going to remain together till one of you takes your last breath. At some point, you'll be too old to enjoy sex. And I don't know what that, that, that age is and I'm not looking forward to that whenever that is. However, <laughs> one day, that will not be the main part of your marriage, Right? because it never was the main part of your marriage. But in our society, it is. It's the way that people define it. It's like, well, we're not. Don't reduce marriage to just whether you're having sex or not. It's much more than that. I could talk more and more about that, but we're not. We're going to move on to tactic number three. Is that the enemy wants to deconstruct biblical covenant. He wants to deconstruct biblical covenant. Divorce isn't in God's plan for marriage. Now, right now, more than half of you, probably way more than half of you, either your parents or you yourself have been divorced. And as Christians, in the same thing, in the same way that we talked about this just a, just a couple of points ago, even though you may find yourself in a place where you have been divorced, you can still agree that divorce is not in God's plan for marriage. You know what I'm saying? Like, like even if you have found yourself in that place, it's okay to say I was wrong, things happened, and, and, but it's still not in God's design. And nowadays, 50-50 shot. 50-50 shot. In the Bible, though, there, there are a few acceptable reasons for divorce. They're limited, but there are a few but the, the way that culture approaches, is it approaches cancellation of marriage contracts is very flippant. What are some permissible reasons for divorce? Well, adultery is one. I believe that there's different types of abuse. And I also believe where there's abandonment. That there's, you, can, you can find in the word of God, there's some, some things around that. And, and I will say this, even though in those scenarios, divorce may be permissible, Divorce is not, like, it doesn't have to happen. It's not required. I actually know quite a few people who have walked through um, uh, affairs and have walked through it with great forgiveness and love and they are still married today and they have kids and their life and God is doing a great thing. Did you know that I actually find that more people get divorced because of the small little fires than the big ones? I find more people's marriages fall apart because they can't communicate because there's a lot of selfishness, just two people trying to become one and it's very difficult and they quit. Much more than I find a lot of people that said, well, he went out on me. I've sat in rooms with women who the husband went out on and, and they were still there. I wanna make this work. I will forgive him. I believe that we can make this work. And I'm sitting there like, I hope that I can have that type of forgiving heart <laughs> you know, in my life in many different ways. So where it may be permissible, some, it doesn't mean that it's required. But a, a, a divorce at the end of the day is something that we must take seriously. If we take marriage seriously, we need to take divorce seriously. I do want to say that if you're considering divorce, and you might have a good reason, that before you sign that paper, before you make that, that, that decision, please go to someone. Please seek counsel whether it's professional counseling or pastoral counseling, go to someone that, don't go to your peer who's struggling with the same thing. Please. Well, my girlfriend's told me, bah, 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 bah. if I was you, I wouldn't, you know? <laughs> you go hang out with your buddies and they're like, oh, dude, psh, yeah, right, man. Dude, that's what I, I'd say the same thing. Don't go to those people because they're crazy. They're crazy. 
go to some people that can talk slowly, biblically, and with clarity and, and give you proper advice. I'm gonna go ahead and go to the last point. So many things, skipping a lot of notes. At the end of the day, how can we have a biblical marriage? How can we have a biblical marriage? Number one is that we align ourselves with God's design. There's a lot of people here today, you're single and you might be looking to get married one day. That's great. Some of you, you're not planning on to get married, you're single. That's great. We still have to have this mindset, no matter where we're at, of aligning ourselves with God's design. That means sometimes rejecting what culture says in order to align ourselves. For some of us, we have agreed with what culture has said. We've agreed with the worldly understanding of marriage and we must repent. We must change. We can't change the word. We must change to align our thought processes with what the word says. Number two, follow God's timeline. I wanna encourage you, some of you today, and, and, and I don't mean to be flippant about this because some of you, you're living together outside of marriage. And, and, and you've been living together for a long time. And so um, my goal is not to shame you into changing. My goal is to offer you some different perspective to help you repent. And repent's not repent, it's change the way that you're living in order to align yourselves with what God has for you. And so follow God's timeline, follow God's timeline. You might need some help, you might need some help with that. Get with some people. Right, But follow God's timeline. Again, align yourself with his design. Follow God's timeline. And number three is commit to biblical covenant. Everything that I've said today, to which right now I really feel like we could spend another hour and really kind of break some of these things open. Everything that I said today is gonna to become more and more difficult to say. It's gonna become more and more difficult to believe and it's gonna become more and more difficult to express with other people. And you could have the most loving heart possible, but it will still be taken as attacking and, and unloving. And I really can't help but to, to see those things in, in the life of Jesus, where he came, and you know, Jesus in the beginning of his ministry, he said a lot of things that a lot of people loved. They followed him. He had throngs of people, I mean, pressing in in the place that he was, having to get out on the boat to get off the, the, the property, you know, the land in order to, uh, to have room to speak. And they, were, they loved him. He was healing people and they loved him. They loved him and he gained a lot of notoriety. But then he began to speak some things that people didn't like. And one by one, they fell off. Thousands of people began to fall off. And there's this one moment where Jesus looks to his disciples and he's like, are you guys gonna leave too? Are y'all gonna roll too? Is, is this the line? Is this the, is this the difficult conversation that we're gonna, gonna have to separate on? And, and I think for all of us, there's gonna come barriers. Today, for some of you, this might be a tough one. I just wanna say that, that we're all doing our best to love Jesus, to obey his word, and to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. The good news is that Jesus came to deliver us from sin, to make us right with God the Father, to reconcile us with Jesus, to reconcile us with God. And that same message will continue to be preached and taught with much grace and truth. And today you have an opportunity to respond to that. So right, I wanna pray with you. Go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. God has made a covenant with us through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, to create a way where there was no way, to give us a hope and to give us a future. In this place today, if you find yourselves outside of the covenant with God, if you don't, maybe up to this point, you haven't believed in Jesus, you haven't really believed in the gospel, but today, you know that God is strong. You want to give you an opportunity to respond. You say, God, I surrender my heart to you right now. God, I'm struggling with a lot of thoughts, a lot of beliefs, but Lord, I know that this is truth. I know that your word is truth. I know that Jesus came and died on the cross for me, for my sins. And today I trust in the good news of Jesus. I submit my heart to you. Thank you for forgiving me. God, today, I pray that you help all of us 
to agree with your word. God, I pray that today that you would help us to repent where we have been wrong. God, we know that your grace is sufficient no matter the the season we're in right now. And so for every person in this room who is saved, but who is struggling with different beliefs, even in, in regards to sexuality and things, God, Lord, I pray that right now you would do a great work, a great work in each heart and in each life. Come on right now, if you're in this place and you're struggling with your sexuality, I want you to know that God's with you. He loves you. He sees you. He hears your prayers. He has not rejected you. His hand is still extended towards you. And right now, just say, Lord, help me. Help me, God. Give me clarity. Give me strength to fight the battle that I have in my life. Help me not to turn my back on you, but help me to trust in you. God, I pray that you give every person in this room strength grace to lean in to the fight, to the issues that they are dealing with. God, for those in this place who maybe are living outside of your design, God, I pray that you help them to work through all of the the tension that's in their life, through all of the difficulty and God to find that you are good and you are with them and you you, you are going to empower them to live the life that you have for them to live. Build up your people, God, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. I want to end today by singing the song, Goodness of God. Just a couple more minutes. And right here in this moment, don't get your purse ready and get everything going. Just take a couple of more minutes and allow God. Maybe some of you are a little bit upset right now. This would be a great time to allow God to, God, search my heart. Search my heart, search my motives and remind me of your faithfulness and your goodness. So come on, let's sing this together.
God's goodness is chasing after us no matter how this hit us. And we have a community here that's here to support and to love and to care and um, intend after those moments. And so one of the ways that we do that is standing together in prayer. So if today something hit you and you are shaken or scared or you're standing somewhere where you feel alone or unsupported, we have prayer partners here today and our goal is to stand with you and to pray with you and to bear your burdens the way that God called us to do. So if for any reason that you need prayer, they're gonna be down here um, ready to pray with you, to pray over you and to support you. Um, If you're here for the first time or you've been here for a while and you um, maybe don't need prayer, but you do wanna know how to be part of the family, Today we have next steps class. You're gonna go out this door left and then right and we'll have class out there. If you have kids here with you that are in kids church, they can stay there till class is over. If for some reason you can't stay for class, we still wanna connect with you. So there's a card in the seat back in front of you. Go ahead and fill that out and it'll go to this side of the sanctuary and somebody will be there to chat with you and we'll have a pastor that'll contact you this week. Um, As always, we have two ways to give and uh, your giving goes to a lot of things and we're super grateful for the generosity in the heart of this house. Um, One of those amazing things that we get to partner with is is, uh, Church Asia and they do um, things a little bit differently. We're not just a church planning organization, they're actually equipping community leaders there. And so they're um, going into communities and I'm gonna read the list, uh, but it's in Nepal, India, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka, some very, um, not necessarily Jesus-friendly places. And so they have a different kind of method. They're building community leaders so that they can build Christian communities. And it is just such an amazing organization. They have resourced over 740 leaders in these countries, they're reaching close to 30,000 people in Asia. And we get to be a part of that day in and day out and we're super excited for that. I saved the best announcement for the last announcement. Tonight is Impact Night. So if you are a student, sixth through 12th grade, you will want to be there. It's tonight at 5.30. Just like us adults can't do life alone, you guys can't do life alone either. So you need to get to that um, service tonight and meet some other students that are your age and let that equip you and your walk with Christ. It is priceless and you're gonna need to be there. Thank you guys for joining us. Go out and enjoy the weather. Have a great day.